some topics you just can't discuss in civil society anymore. <laughs> Their topics are just too hot to handle. Don't go there, right? Too explosive. Uh, well, actually, I'm going to be hosting a series of meetups around my fire pit, uh, so maybe that's made a bit of an exaggeration because I'm in, interested in engaging all sides of the topic. But they do seem to be too hot to handle for those not interested in give and take, the listening and contributing, the learning posture that human interaction is meant to be. People today find that real debate about real topics gets very, very difficult and much prefer a, another type of debate, really a parody of it, which consists of what, what Tom Wright says, uh, giving a dog a bad name and then beating him for it <laughs> and then lashing out too at anyone who associates with the dog you happen to be beating at the time. Right? Topics are tricky, too hot to handle. We dare not go there. Some topics cause a reaction uh, noticed in social media, at least in the last five, six years. Um, a reaction that screams, over my dead body, right? America on the surface is all about mom, baseball, and apple pie, and you dare not mess with that. But drill a little deeper and, and debate the Christian origins, or, or were they deist origins, of the United States of America. And you've found a molten core, too hot. Uh, tear down some statues uh, or protect them. And you've got fire. And it's not wrong to be fired up or passionate about a cause. Far from it. But, but it's hard to learn when you're afraid or angry, right? That's a switch that turns off because we, we get into these opposition mindset. Uh, it's hard to turn that switch off and, and get back into a learning posture. Last week, I went to a play entitled Feminism. Uh, this was written by 12 to 14 year old girls, uh, and, and they made preachers seem tame. <laughs> but I listened, I learned, and I, I know it's possible. We can do this, right? Uh, one issue, gun ownership is a sacred cow, right? A sacred cow, you dare not touch it. Uh, vaccines have been deeply politicized, and it's bringing out the ire, the hatred, with all the blaming and finger-pointing in both directions. Uh, climate change deniers are lined up to be executed with Holocaust deniers, right? They're, they're in the same boat. How is this happening, right? Uh, Black Lives Matter is not just a statement of fact, which is clearly true. Or, or was it blue lives or all lives that mattered? Did I leave anybody out in the debates here? You know, the, the, how about the role of American support of Israel and how the modern state of Israel plays a role in Christian end times schemes? Th th that debate sets people up for charges of blasphemy. And we'll actually get to dabble in some passages that, that point uh, toward the end times today. But in the early church, the first Jesus people followed Jesus through the maze of, of their beliefs and practices and way of life. And the, the sacred cows in Judaism of that time were the temple, may it stand forever. The law given to Moses, given by Moses, may his memory never be altered. Uh, the land, which is centered around Jerusalem and the temple, and the family of Jews and those that were being included into Jews as proselytes. Now, technically, blasphemy was insulting the divine name of Yahweh. 
But one really important historian, uh, Josephus, writing just later than this time, speaks of blasphemy against Moses. Like, that's a charge um, worthy of, of blasphemy. You spoke against Moses. And in our passage today, charges are brought against a man named Stephen that he blasphemed Moses and the temple, right? This, some of the central pillars of what it meant to be a follower of Yahweh God, a Jew um, in proper standing. Uh, James D.G. Dunn says, uh, any criticism of something so fundamental as the temple to a religion in which one had invested one's whole life would sound like a criticism of the whole. See, you, you can't pick at it. There, there are no passions, he says, like religious passions. No charges so exaggerated and intemperate as made by those whose deepest religious sensibilities have been wounded. Right? James Dunn says they're, they're on the defensive, right? That's, that's the position. And so when you're on the defensive, uh, you, you lash out, you lash back. As we look at Acts 6, 8 through 15, I want to read this and explain it and then see what we can take from this moving forward as a church. In Acts chapter 6, we see Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We've heard him speaking blasphemous words about, against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law. For we have all heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel." So here we've got Stephen, a, a Greek-speaking person, one who we just read was placed among the seven as leaders in the church to, to help solve an issue um, that had to do with overlooking widows of, of Greek-speaking uh, families. And so one of the seven, full of spirit and full of wisdom, is now leaning into this debate. And, and Stephen is highlighted as one of the men, one of the seven who were good witnesses of good repute. So good witnesses, both passive and active. They were witnesses of Jesus and they were well-spoken and of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom. And add to that, in this passage, we see Stephen was full of grace and power and was doing great signs and wonders, causing people to wonder or to be amazed. That's the wonders and signs pointing to Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah who was then crucified, raised, and exalted, and soon to return. So, so he's doing these signs, uh, and, and this is just an amazing individual, Stephen, obviously. I mean, we've, he's not one of the apostles, he's, he's not one of the twelve, but he's one of these seven, and God is doing amazing, miraculous works through him as well. And he's ready for it. He's, he's ready to speak up. 
So we're dealing with this Greek-speaking culture, these Hellenized Jews. Um, they had come from the diaspora. That may be a new word for you, diaspora, which is the dispersion of Jews into other nations. Right? There, there, were, there were Jews all over in, in all these different regions, as they mentioned. And this happened mostly in the exile from Israel, where, where remember, uh, the Assyrians came in and wiped out the ten tribes and took them back. That was 722 B.C. But that's where we get the notion of the ten lost tribes of Israel. From then on out, we hear of Jewish people, the Judaismo, the Judean religion. And that was one of the tribes, Judah and Benjamin combined, those two tribes. And, but the ten lost tribes were wherever they were. But it also happened in 61 B.C. General Pompey um, of Rome came in and sacked Jerusalem. Uh, he, he, that was when he, he came in and he came to the temple and he looked around and said, these people are atheists. They don't even have a, an idol in their temple. Right? And he carried off the Jews into slavery as his, as his tribute, um, carried them along in triumph. These are my slaves. And so he took them and they were sold and, and they were scattered all throughout the Roman Empire. Later, they would earn their freedom, either because their time ran out or, or they had served well and so they were manumitted as slaves and they would be able to be freed men and women. And many made their way back to the homeland. Like, like homing pigeons, right? They're, they're going to come back to be near in the homeland, near the central shrine of their, of their faith, the temple. And they had made the journey to be near and to live near um, the, the, the temple and to be buried next to the ancestors. They wanted to be around the faith. They... they they were a particularly devout group of people who knew that they belonged around the temple. Do you, do you get the sense that the atmosphere was particularly charged in this group? I mean, they have traveled a long way to come back home and to hear anything against the temple and the rituals and, and everything was, was blasphemous to them. The, the synagogue of freedmen we see in verse 9 um, would, would be people who belonged to a Greek-speaking synagogue by these most likely the freed slaves. But we see people from all around the region, from uh, Cyrene, uh, which is in northern Africa, Alexandrians uh, from the region around Alexandria, right? Um, Cilicia and Asia, referring to Asia Minor, uh, which is modern Turkey. And now Saul, who is the key figure in the rest of the Acts, was one of these men from Cilicia, uh, probably one of the ones who was actually arguing with Stephen himself. But we learn in verse 10, they were not able to resist. You know, Stephen's opponents would try, but they would fail to overcome it. What's going on? They, I mean, they know their theology, but, but this person is, is out, of, uh, out of reach, it seems. So they have to bring up false charges. And so the witnesses take Stephen's words about Jesus and about his work, and they twist them. Because we know that Jesus never claimed that, that he would destroy the temple itself. Um, he did say it would be destroyed. Uh, and that actually took place, A.D. 70. Uh, it, 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 the Great War, it, it did, took place. He didn't, Jesus didn't claim to, to overturn the law, but to fulfill it. And so we see that there was clearly room for misunderstanding. I mean, you're, you're making statements about the temple, 
And for the Greek Jews, you know, it was pretty easy to get hot under the toga because of the early Christian claim that the God of our ancestors has been fulfilling his purposes. And, and the, the promises that he, he gave in the law and, and the promises about the temple is now doing a new thing. Well, we don't like new things. I, I didn't come from the nations back to Jerusalem to do a new thing. I want to be connected to the ancient paths. Willie James Jennings says, we, we mustn't be too judgmental of these men uh, because the new order that surprises them requires a step of faith that can only be taken by yielding to the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you think about it, just, just in practical terms, they're not, given a, they're not gonna budge at all on their position. God is doing a new thing? No, why would he do a new thing? He's doing the same thing he's always ever done. And, and you've got James, uh, James Dunn talking about Stephen, who's a, the younger member of the Diaspora family. James says, preaching in such a way as to call into question the whole reason for their existence in Jerusalem. <laughs> That's amazing, right? We can well imagine that the religious fervor and economic uncertainty, which is a potent combination, generated a strong reaction to such a proclamation. So the tensions are high. You're blaspheming. You're out of bounds. I can't believe you're even bringing this up. In the, midst, in the presence of the temple, you're talking about Jesus who spoke these things out against the temple. It was a charged atmosphere. Now we know that that it wasn't a clear, direct, the temple is no good. We know that they met in the temple courts every day. They met there for prayer and preaching and teaching. We, we also know that many priests caught on to the message of Jesus, that Jesus is the fulfillment of our story and God's story, and, and I want to get on board with it. So, so the charges um, that were brought are clearly false. But you may remember this. Jesus predicted that the apostles, he warned them directly that you will be dragged into court, but you will be given a mouth <laughs> and wisdom. I, God will be with your mouth, like he said to Moses. I will be with you. I will give you wisdom. And Stephen finds himself among those who would need that. And, and so might we. So I want us to read and go back to Luke chapter 21, 5 through 38. Now we know Luke is the author of Acts as well, so we're looking for those interactions that, that he might have just laid in there for us. So Luke chapter 21, verse 5 through 8. And while some were speaking of the temple, how, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, this is Jesus speaking, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. It's going to be rubble. And they asked him, the, the disciples asked him, teacher, when will these things be and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? When, when will the stones of this temple be reduced to rubble. When is that going to be? And he said, See that you're not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Don't go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, don't be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Okay, so we're tracking here, right? There's going to be people showing up after Jesus is gone saying, I'm Jesus, or I'm the Messiah, follow me. I'm the one who you should have expected. But 
Um, those things need to take place. Don't go after those people. You'll hear about wars and tumults, but don't be terrified. The end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. Okay, you're talking about tumultuous national events, big sweeping changes of events. There will be earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Signs from heaven. That would be um, sun, moon, and stars, right, in, in their courses. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Right? Do, you, do you see this course happening right now with Stephen? Do you sense it? There's, there's going to be brought before synagogues and, and, and you'll have your opportunity to be a witness, right? Martyr, a witness. And we see this uh, clearly taking place right here. You will even be delivered up by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death. You, again, speaking to his disciples, will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Now, that's a little tricky. Some of you will die, but not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Jesus is speaking in a way that would say, even in death, you would have your life. Which is his message all along. You, you, you die to self and live to him so that even if they took your bodily life, you would, you would have your life preserved. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that the desolation has come near. The desolation, a complete removal, the rubble again, right? Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it, for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people, Wrath against this people, the people, the people of the temple, the people of Judaism, the people that are right here in this city. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So this is what's going to happen. You're going to see this coming. And some of you that are here are still alive. You're going to watch this take place. But get out of the get out of the city when you see the being surrounded. Just flee to the hills. Get out. Judgment is near for the people of the temple. And there will be signs in sun, moon, and stars, and on earth distress of nations and perplexity because the roaring of the sea and the waves, with people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. 
Okay, so when when you look in the night sky, we could barely see anything. You know, maybe a blue origin rocket. You might got you might have got to see that or something. But uh, but when you we look at the signs in the skies, we don't see much of it. But when they saw something new in the skies, that meant a change in fortunes, right? That meant a change in empire. And the sun, moon, and the stars, these celestial beings. Um, that are ruling these other nations, right? They they are going to be turned, and we find this uh, this this language could be taken very literally, sun, moon, and stars, but but also using the language of their day can mean that great nations and the kingdoms of earth would be, as we say in our own word picture, going through convulsions, right? Some of you have lived through the fall of the apartheid regime in South Africa. Or you remember the Berlin Wall and the sweeping changes that happened after that. We've all seen the Me Too movement or BLM um, or the Wall Street crashes, the Trump presidency, COVID-19. And we know how quickly, how unexpectedly great changes can sweep through large systems with huge unpredictable consequences. I think that's what he's talking about with with the sweeping change, signs in the stars, uh, the power changes in heaven, in the heavens, um, signs here, uh, the the armies surrounded, desolation coming near. I mean, we have all this this picture here. People fainting with fear because of the foreboding, and it says they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Very interesting and very tricky stuff. There's one reading of that that says that's all future. There's another reading of it that says, um, well, we're talking about a clear delineation. Now, certainly the return of Christ is, is a highly preached situation for Luke. So he's certainly not saying that Christ has already returned in some way. But anyone living in the Roman Empire during the years of A.D. 60 to 70 might feel these convulsions of systems, uh, particularly during the last couple years of that period. So leading up to the sacking of the temple itself. Tom Wright reports that after Nero's suicide in 68, four emperors followed in quick succession, each one at the head of an army. And so the, the Roman peace, the Pax Romana, that Augustus and his successors claimed to have brought to the world was shattered from the inside. And a convulsive shudder went through the whole known world. So we see, uh, we see that this is stuff that took place. Now, will there be wars and rumors of wars in the future? Of course there will be. Of course this is the thing. And will this repeat itself in the end? Maybe, probably, right? But this, this Jesus is talking about when will these stones fall down? And he's giving them a pretty good description. But now we have to get to the issue of the Son of Man, the coming of the Son of Man, the coming of the Son of Man on the clouds. Well, we'd first want to understand it the way they understood it. And they would have gone directly to Daniel chapter 7, right? one of the most popular prophecies. And, and it was believed that this passage was speaking about a time when God's true people will be vindicated. They'll be shown to be in the right after their suffering at the hands of the beasts, all these animals, these beasts that are gathering around. Read, read Daniel chapter 7. It would be very important for you to do that. The beasts are the pagan nations who are oppressing him. And in this prophecy of Daniel chapter 7, there's this, the thrones are placed. And you've got the ancient of days. You've got a courtroom setting. And God says, these people are to be vindicated. 
and the Son of Man is vindicated, and the oppressive beast is to be destroyed. And so the judgment falls on the pagan nations is the same judgment that vindicates the Son of Man, who we understand Jesus always called himself the Son of Man. And he's brought on a cloud to share the throne of God himself. He's coming on a cloud. He's being vindicated. Now, when I grew up, I looked at every cumulus cloud, wondering if that was the cloud in which Jesus was coming back. But the image and what they would understand in Israel in that day is that Jesus was being exalted to the throne, like when he ascended and it was exalted on a cloud to the throne. And the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem would actually be the thing that shows my people have been judged in favor of. And the other people, um, those who opposed me, are found to be um, wiped away. And that's the picture that we have. So the signs in heaven, the, the sign that Jesus was indeed enthroned at the Father's side in heaven, that he was exalted, that he was ascended, um, is this destruction of Jerusalem when the wars would happen, when the convulsion was taking place. So get to the hills. Don't be a part of that. That's when I will be vindicated. And we live and preach the gospel in the same kind of world, which which when, as Jerusalem did to Jesus, they refuse to be called to peace with God. They come, be at peace with God. We, we want, we warn you, but we love you. We want you to be at peace with God. And we, we have a duty to warn those around us, our friends, that to reject God's invitation is going to lead to disaster. It will every time. And so we, we warn them, be reconciled to God. We love you. We care about you. And we never know when the end will come, when Jesus will return and bring all to himself. Uh, Willie James Jennings says that the church was born in the tight space between faith and fear and forever lives in that space. The coming return of God, the, the, uh, the oppression of, of the nations, and faith and allegiance in Jesus. We forever live in that space. Only the Holy Spirit keeps that space from collapsing in on us. So life in the Spirit is so important. You know, we're being told that we, the church, are blaspheming against the cultural story of the day, against the temples that, that our society has set up. The story of the march of progress is ongoing, and Christians stand in the way of progress. Perhaps you've heard that, <laughs> right? But to tell the story of, of God and his Christ, uh, Jesus, as the king of the world, stands in opposition to the story of the day. And, and it's true, many are refusing Jesus. They're just outright refusing him, don't want to be bothered with his claims on their life, but but there are many who do. Last week, a high school-age young man came by my house to chat. Uh, it was just small chit-chat. I was out watering my garden, and he, he just was picking up any topic, and we were just kind of talking about stuff. And I, I was just watering my garden, listening to a podcast, so I had to switch and just say, okay, um, God, what do you want? You start. Would you show up in this conversation? Would you do what you want in this conversation? I wasn't feeling for much, uh, feeling up for much of a conversation, really. 
But then he shifted the conversation to, um, he said, said uh, so when did you decide to become a, plea, uh, a priest? Or how did you decide to become a priest? Well, I didn't correct him on that, but I shared a story of how God got a hold of my heart and led me to, to West Africa to spend six weeks there working with troubled youth and imprisoned youth. And I just started to feel like maybe this is what God's calling me to do. And, and so I asked him what he wanted to pursue. And he talked about uh, becoming a policeman. And we chatted a bit, chatted a while. And, and then he stated, I'm afraid of dying. I said, whoa, okay, Jesus, you're clearly here. Fill me with your spirit and wisdom. I, I need it right now. You know, I told him, I think a lot of people think that death is, is just natural. You know, it just comes, it goes, no fear. You know, whatever happens, happens. We just need to deal with it. But we can't really deal with it in that way because we were meant to live forever with God. I mean, that's how we were created. So I started talking about the Garden of Eden, how God wanted a human family. And, and the divine family looked down on that one divine being, tried to spoil the whole mess and brought death into, through temptation of Adam and Eve, death into the human race. So the rebellion took place. We chose against God and his version of, of reality, his version of truth, his version of good and evil, and wanted to make that for ourselves. And so... So the death then really becomes a part of the human story, but it wasn't meant to be. But God's still going to have his human family. He's going to still continue to do that. I, br I brought him through the story of the gospel of Jesus, how, how Jesus is the, the God-man who bridges that gap, and, and how um, he's the only way, the only truth, the only life, and he is the way to the Father, and, and we dare not try and approach it any other way. The crucifixion, you know, is this is his arms open wide, and, and Jesus said, if there's any other way other than my death uh, for these people, if there's any other way, then let it be. But there was no other way, and so so really had to just kind of focus in on the, the, the direct claims of Jesus to be the one who actually went beyond the grave through his resurrection, went beyond the grave, came back to tell us the way to God. I mean, we talked about a bit more, but, uh, but I tried to help him understand that the only way to overcome your fear of death is to go to the one who overcame death. And I ended up by helping him download a Bible app, the Bible app, and, and explain the context of scripture. Okay, we had creation, God's desire for a human family, the rebellion, and how, how then, um, then the nations were dispersed because they only wanted to pursue themselves. And and how God started over on page 12 of the Bible with Abraham to get the nations back. But then they ended up in Egypt and they needed to be rescued from slavery and, and the exodus, right? And then the very odd problem, oh boy, this is an odd one, of having the creator God live in your midst. And you're broken people, broken by sin and rebellion. And, and so, so how, are they, how is God going to live in their midst? And they had to figure out the way to do that with God's presence right there. And then the the, the uh, promised land that they would go into, and then the kings, and then their, their exile, and, and God is no longer with them. But then the promise that the people would return to their land, and, and God would return as king and live among them. So then I pointed him to our friend Luke. I just said, okay, now we just, just here's an eyewitness testimony of Jesus. Take Luke. Luke is, has got, he's studied it all out, and he wants to share with you about the story of Jesus, who claimed to be God, returned to take on flesh, to deal with our sin, and lead us to where he is. 
right? It's so awesome to be able to have that opportunity um, to do that. But there was no persecution. There was no pressure to defend myself. It, this wasn't before the judges and before the synagogues and all that kind of stuff. Um, just an opportunity to speak of Jesus and point a young man to Jesus, to ask him, ask Jesus to reveal himself to you. Now, you might feel you need to get more training to help someone like this. But my belief is this. You have the training you need to be obedient to the call of God on your life. You're already trained up. You have what you need to, to be obedient. Now, of course, you can learn more. And, and, and kudos. You're, you're listening to the story of, of the Bible right now. You're listening to the story of God. You're soaking that in. You're trying to understand how you in a conversation would explain things. That's very good, right? But you have what it takes to be obedient to God. And, and if, if you've never heard this before, I think it's worth, worth repeating. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. He doesn't just call, oh, you're good enough. I'll take you and bring you over here. He said, especially in these situations, like Stephen was in, whatever, you don't even worry about it. You'll, you'll be brought there and my spirit will give you full measure of what you need to speak. Now, I'm no Stephen and I clearly do not have the face of an angel. But on most days, not all, <laughs> I know those days, but on most days, I'm willing to obey. Willing to have Jesus shine forth from my life. And if you're willing, do this. Ask Jesus for opportunities to show his glory and share his story. You, you may, your face may not shine like an angel, but I'm told and I've seen it when, when, when you as a follower of Jesus bring, your king, bring the kingdom into a certain room, there's a presence about you. It's oddly been said about me that when I walk into an environment that, that things change and that, that God has, a, has something to say when I come into these parties that God's uh, led me into with my non-Christian friends. Go figure, right? However he wants to do that, he can do that. But we want to show his glory, share his story. And I guarantee if you start your day like that, God, give me opportunities for conversations about Jesus. And then you start your conversations with a, with a prayer like that. God, is this a conversation you want to lead to you? God will surprise you with the opportunity.